Listeners to my podcast know how much I love stories, so I am really excited to announce to you my new sponsor, the award-winning podcast, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. I first got a wind of this when I read the book several years ago, and now it's a podcast, which is awesome. And this podcast, in the podcast, you're going to meet a lot of amazing women from all over the world that have changed the world in so many ways. People like Wang Zanai, an astronomer who showed why we have lunar eclipses. Wangari Matai from Kenya, who started the Green Belt Movement that planted over 40 million trees worldwide that, that allowed her to be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for her work. Only 19% of children's books showcase women who have jobs or have career ambitions. So we need our girls to have more positive role models to show them what's possible when they dream bigger. And what's also interesting is all the stories in the podcast are narrated by inspiring women from all the different worlds of art and music and business and sports, people like Melinda Gates, entrepreneur Laureen Powell-Jobes, and Gail King from CBS. And this award-winning podcast was named the Best Family and Kids Podcast and the Top Educational Podcast by iTunes, which is amazing. The podcast is made by Rebel Girls for Rebel Girls, which means it's told from a women-first perspective. The new season started a few months ago, so give the Rebel Girl in your life the confidence to dream bigger. Find goodnight stories for Rebel Girls wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hello, parents. If you're the kind of parent who would like to remain an influence in your daughter's life now, through the teen years and beyond, you are in the right place. Uh, Dr. Tim Jordan here. And this podcast is called Raising Daughters. And we come here every two weeks to, to talk about some issue that relates to girls, parenting girls, things that are going on for girls. And I thought I would uh, do something I haven't done. I don't think I've ever interviewed somebody with this topic before. We're going to talk today about eating disorders. And so I've, I've asked a specialist, uh, Dr. Anna Tanner, who's from Atlanta. She's a board-certified pediatrician who spent the last 22 years of her career working with complicated adolescent patients with a special emphasis on patients with eating disorders. And she holds a designation of an adjunct professor uh, at Emory uh, School of Medicine, uh, also has the same kind of thing at Morehouse School of Medicine. She's also, for the last three years, been part of, of a group at, called Veritas Collective, uh, which is, uh, is creating some uh, assessment clinics, I believe, and outpatient services for, for um, people with eating disorders in the Atlanta community. And if I did any of that wrong, you please tell me. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Dr. Jordan. I'm excited to be on and get to talk to parents some about eating disorders. Um, and I just think your show is a great vehicle to get to talk about this really important topic. Thank you. So my first question was, where did this passion for working with, with teens, maybe it's adults too, but at least teens with eating disorders, where'd that come from? So I'm a pediatrician at heart and I love uh, children and young adolescents. And we have seen younger and younger patients affected by eating disorders. And that has some really important medical complications, some irreversible medical problems. And so I've been very passionate about helping uh, early prevention efforts, early intervention efforts, and early treatment efforts. And my latest work with Veritas Collaborative has been to really improve access to care so we can meet those objectives and take great care of these younger patients. Yeah, and younger, by younger you mean, what, middle school, younger than that? 
That's a great question. So we know the average age of onset of eating disorders has decreased over the last couple decades. Um, some studies show an average age of anorexia nervosa as young as 12.3 years old now. And some of our other eating disorders also present at very young ages, including ARFID and bulimia nervosa. So we're seeing younger patients with eating disorders than when many of us started in this field. Yeah. You know, I, I think a lot of parents are listening to this, and maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think a lot of them have the sense of an eating disorder is, is an 80-pound girl who's, you know, who's having all kinds of other body problems because she's lost 30 pounds in the last two months. I, that's like their only vision of that's what an eating disorder is. And I'm sure you can tell us a lot about that's There's a lot of ways that eating disorders can, can manifest. That's, that's so true. And especially with younger patients, really, really true. I know that your show is about raising daughters, but we know that eating disorders affect male patients as well as female patients. We know that they're increasingly affecting younger patients and older patients than we ever suspected before. And we know that eating disorders across all socioeconomic um, and we also know that eating disorders can present a lot of ways. So a lot of people get suspicious of an eating disorder with weight loss, but weight gain, failure to grow, there are a lot of different ways that eating disorders can present. Um, so they're not always about weight loss. And that's so great that you started off by pointing that out, that it can be anyone and it can be any type of eating uh, disorder behavior. Do the young kids, the 11, 12, 13 year olds, do they present, present differently? That is such a good question. And that is one of my passions in this field is that younger kids are often not going to present with weight loss because you know this, Dr. Jordan, they're growing, right? So growing kids should be gaining weight. And when they have insufficient intake because they're eating less or some other eating disorder behavior, often what happens at first is they stop gaining weight and then they stop growing. And lots of times they can go a long time um, before anybody picks up on the fact that they're not getting in enough energy because everybody's used to looking for weight loss. We're done growing. So if we didn't get in enough energy, we would lose weight. We're grown-ups. But children, when they don't get enough energy, stop gaining weight and then they stop growing. And that's a little bit more subtle to pick up on. This is going to sound like a simple question. I'm sure you could talk about this for three hours, but uh, <laughs> why, why more? Why younger and why more more kids? It's such a good question, and I don't think anybody knows. Um, one factor is we're looking for eating disorders in different ways, okay? We don't just think about anorexia nervosa as weight loss with loss of periods. So we know that that illness is more than that now, um, and we have additional diagnoses that and let us include younger children with other types of disordered eating behaviors. So we're able to cast a broader net in our understanding of eating disorders and the different way these behaviors present. We also know, um, you know this, you've been doing this for a long time. We live in a very broken world and there are a lot of pressures on kids at younger ages and they're exposed to a lot at younger ages. And so for those kids where an eating disorder may be prone to develop, those factors may exert more of an influence earlier. Which, which, which of the pressures do you find is the the most significant when it comes to quote unquote causing girls to end up with an eating disorder? You know, 
I, I don't know that I have an easy answer to that. I mean, eating disorders are definitely multifactorial. There's genetic factors. So in families where one parent's had an eating disorder or another family member, it might be more common or a sibling. Um, we know there are societal factors. We know there are personality factors. Um, you and I have talked a little bit about how with COVID, right, the increased anxiety, the increased isolation, the increased exposure to videos on how to eat healthy or how to exercise during COVID have increased our presentations of eating disorders. So we know that there are a lot of different factors that come to develop, come together when an eating disorder develops. And what's the role, if any, of just stress? Because I mean, COVID has obviously added all kinds of stresses. What's the role of just, just stress? I think um, when we talk about stress, maybe we should talk about anxiety. Um, and again, here I'm deferring to you as the expert. Um, we know that in a lot of adolescents with eating disorders, a lot of those patients have anxiety as a condition before the eating disorder ever develops. And we know that with COVID, we're seeing a lot more mental health concerns because of the isolation and because of the stress. And so you could argue that we're seeing an, an increase in, in all of that together is creating a, quite a perfect storm for the development of eating disorders. Yeah. And I, you know, it's, I've, I've seen, I, we were talking before we went on, I've seen a lot of a lot of girls in the last, especially the last month or six weeks, kind mm -hmm. of since right before school started and school started, just whose anxiety is amped up and their stress levels have amp, amped up. And a lot of it has to do with the uncertainty: is school going to start? How school going to start? Blah blah, you know, all those things. I especially am seeing a lot of kids who are in those transition periods, starting mm -hmm. sixth grade, starting ninth grade, starting mm -hmm. college. And, you know, a lot of, I, I just did a group last night of high school girls. We meet every two weeks and there's uh, nine girls and uh, six of them, I think five or six of them are seniors. And they mm -hmm. were lamenting, tearful about how their whole year is screwed. And they, and several of them have already gotten into the college they want to go to. So like, what's, <laughs> what's the, what's the purpose of even going to school? They're, they're, they have zero motivation and then their parents are on them and, and, uh, I wonder if that's part of what you're seeing also within your clinics. Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of providers who take care of patients with eating disorders are seeing more patients present with these concerns. And certainly um, the mental health stressors of COVID, isolation, missed, um, you know, um, important events, proms and graduations, and um, so many kids are not starting school in person. So many kids haven't seen their friends or have athletic activities or theater activities canceled. They're just losing so many important milestones. It's very hard um, to to keep having, you know, so many disappointments in a row. And again, you know, when you have um, that anxiety there, um, missing so much, um, it, it definitely does not help that anxiety. Um, and they're missing their friends, you know, they're not with their peers, they don't have their usual healthy methods of dealing with that stress. Um, and so it's increased stress um, with de decreased healthy ways of dealing with the stress, I think. Yeah, I, I also think, I mean, I mean, this is true for adults too. There's people who are feeling out of control because there's a lot of things that are not under their control. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of parents, when they think of eating disorders, think of control. It's, it's about, you know, wanting to be in control. So I'm wondering how that, if that 
or how that fits? That's a good question. I think in the field of eating disorders, we think about eating disorders less as something um, simply about wanting control. We now know that all of the eating disorders are unbidden mental illnesses. These aren't something that kids choose to have. They're not something that their parents cause. I'm old enough in the field where I remember that we parents caused eating disorders. I'm so glad we're past that stage. And so I think that idea of eating disorders being about control is a simplification. However, we do know that for a lot of these patients, their brain feels better when they engage in the eating disorder patient behaviors. So for patients who restrict, they may feel more calm when they restrict, and they feel more anxious when they don't. For patients who binge or purge, they may feel relief with those episodes of binging and purging, but that relief doesn't last. And so these are ways to feel better, but they're not compatible with health, and they're not healthy ways of managing those feelings. But their brains are prone to feel better with those behaviors, and that's not something we can change, and it's not something they asked for and it's not something their parents caused. And so I think it's really important to realize that nobody's brain wants to be in pain, right? I mean, all these patients you talk to, they don't want to be in pain. That's why they're coming to talk to you. It's why parents are listening to your show. And if you don't find a healthy way to feel better when your brain's in pain and you find another way to feel better, your brain is going to want to stick with that, right? And so it makes sense, I think. Um, that that's why we're seeing what we're seeing with, with increased behaviors. And this may be beyond what we should be talking about, but on a brain level, <laughs> a hormone level, why does it make the brain feel, why does the brain want to do that to make you feel better? I think that that is definitely beyond the scope of my expertise <laughs> oh. um, to be able to explain. But it's really interesting to think about how much neurochemistry and neurobiology and genetics we still mm -hmm. need to about these illnesses. Yeah. And often when I talk to families and I talk yeah. about the genetics and I talk about you know, the genetics that we're learning and the, the neurobiology of what we're learning, I think for some families, there's so much shame and stigma to eating disorders. There's so much fear of addressing them and what will people say to understand that they're unbidden illnesses and to understand that there's a science to these illnesses, I think provides the families with, with a little bit of relief, a little bit of understanding where they can roll up their sleeves and, and deal with the problem. Yeah, I'm older than you, but I remember back in my medical training, when, we, we, when the word eating disorder came up, we automatically said, oh, controlling mother. That was like the direct line. If you, had an eating disorder, if you were a girl with an eating disorder, you had a controlling mother. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm glad we've debunked that. I, I am so glad. Yeah, I have a question. I, you know, I, I work with a lot of girls who are in middle school, high school, uh, college. And especially if you go back to like the middle school age that we talked about at the beginning. I mean, every girl in that middle school is comparing themselves, uh, mm -hmm. you know, constantly. They worry about how they look. I, in my camps and my retreats, sometimes we'll have the girls make a list of all the things about their body that they judge, like in a negative way. And, you know, we, we fill up pads and pads of every body part imaginable that they judge, is, you know, from earlobes to fingernails to whatever. So knowing that that's sort of going on for, quote unquote, every girl, most girls, every girl, um, I think it's confusing for parents to know when, when do they cross the line to where there's a problem? Because every girl, every girl, most girls have issues with how they look. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's a really good point. I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because when, when we talk as pediatricians on, for example, how to prevent eating disorders, um, we talk about things like promoting family meals, promoting eating and activity as part of a healthy overall lifestyle. Um, and one of the things that the American Academy of Pediatrics has focused on is not promoting body dissatisfaction, right? that idea of you're, you're healthy you, you're unique, you're exactly who you're supposed to be. And I think getting parents to, and, and, and teachers and mentors to help kids value what's special and unique and positive about them instead of promoting body dissatisfaction is really important. I'm so glad that you touched on that point. And we know that that's probably really important in preventing eating disorders. Imagine another thing. I, this is something I've done. I do a lot with girls too. It's and I and talk to parents about is, <clears throat> excuse me, is helping girls become more um, image and media savvy. Mm -hmm. Because even mm -hmm. though, you know, they're scrolling walls and taking photos and doing TikTok, and we think that they they're like experts. The truth is, they still a lot of times get caught up in that's real. And I, mm -hmm. I'm assuming that that's part of your, maybe, I don't, shouldn't assume, is that part of your program <laughs> to educate girls about becoming more media image savvy? That's a great point. So the, the programming we do at Veritas Collaborative is actually treatment for patients with eating disorders at all levels of care, from all the way from outpatient care to medical stabilization at inpatient levels of care. But when we're talking um, to communities of support and we're talking about um, action steps that you can do to detect eating disorders early or try and prevent eating disorders, um, talking about being media savvy and helping our patients in recovery be media savvy is super important. It's, it's really important. Um, you know, parents should know how much time their kids are spending on the screen, right? Mm -hmm. And they should know that um, who their kids are talking to and if there's a concern um, that they want to hear from their kids, that they want to be able to talk about something concerning that they heard, right, or was said. Um, it's also important to set a positive example, right, with parents. So not just with media, but with everything um, that we've been talking about. So um, we want parents to, you know, do some of those um, things, um, both preventatively, but also in recovery. You know, we're not going to take our kids out of the world in recovery. Um, they're going to need to learn how to navigate these things. I, I think that cell phones and computers are here to stay. I don't know what you think, but um, learning to navigate that in a healthy yeah. and positive ways really important another question that's too easy to ask and <laughs> would be take weeks to discuss but just because i think parents sometimes wonder when they're when their daughters look in the mirror you know you and i would see normal body you know good weight for their height blah 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 and the girl sees something totally different mm -hmm. so um, i'm wondering and this again this is a maybe too simple of a question but how do you how do you get girls to eventually through what kind of a process do they need to go through so they can look in the mirror and actually, you know, see 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 what's really there as opposed to something else? 
Gosh, that's such a such a great question um, because we know that one of the most important things we can do when parents are worried that their kid might have an eating disorder or might be developing an eating disorder is not commenting on how they look, right? And we know for preventing eating disorders that um, not promoting body dissatisfaction is so important. I mean, I think some really important things that parents can do um, are to help their daughters um, focus on activities Activities that help them um, that aren't focused on weight or shape or how they look, um, you know, finding hobbies, finding things they excel at, drawing, painting, journaling, being with friends, um, doing other things for self-care that are more than about how they look. Um, and I think that that's, I'm sure you are much more of an expert on this and have much better advice for parents. Um, you're right. I mean, comparison is part of adolescent development, right? They are, as they go through puberty, they're comparing. And we're talking about younger kids getting eating disorders right at that peak age developmentally of comparisons. And so I think, and, and you help me here, um, we can help parents with positive messages uh, about kids um, being healthy for themselves and having interests and, and abilities and talents that are beyond how they look in a mirror. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. I think what what makes it harder, at least once they go back to school, real school, is that they may have all these good intentions and they're they're on their on a great path, and they go to gym class, and then they're sitting in the locker room, looking in the mirror, and these girls are fat shaming, and it's like whoop, they get sucked right back into all of that, the comparing and all that. So I think it's hard, you know, yeah. environment, school, and all that is, and even even coaches. I see, I it's amazing how even today. I hear so many girls tell me how their coaches, whether gym, gymnasts and dancers, especially cheer, that their coaches make all kinds of comments about their bodies and their weight. Yeah, I think, and um, and I hear a lot of those comments too. I think all uh, a lot of us do um, in, in the mental health field, and I think that's why your show is so important, right? Because at the end of the day, the biggest influence on all of these girls is their parents, and mm. what hope is that when someone makes a bullying comment in a locker room that they come home and they talk with their parents about it and their parents can help them process that and deconstruct that and you hope that um, parents when a coach is focusing on winning versus working together as a team that the fam that the parent is supervising that and mentoring that because we know that our daughters need to grow up to be adults and a lot of the people they deal with maybe won't always handle everything perfectly or make things easy and that and that's part of that growing up process is helping our daughters learn how to navigate difficult situations and so you know i think the biggest help is having parents to come back to and being available for our daughters as they go through these challenges yeah you know my, my wife and i have, have facilitated a whole bunch of mother-daughter retreats over the years. And sometimes, um, usually we'll have a section on body image or things like that. And uh, there's been a bunch of times where we'll, the mothers will be talking and saying, you know, I know I shouldn't talk about my body negatively in front of my daughter. I don't do that. I'm really conscious of that. And we're like, great. And their daughters are sitting in the same room. We'll say, how many of you have heard their moms <laughs> talking bad about their bodies? And they all raise their hand. I think it's, it's, I don't think oftentimes we're aware of the things that come out of our mouths and that our daughters are, especially with their moms, are listening and watching. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. It's such a good point. I think that's such a really important thing to stress. And uh, you, you, I'm sure you have spoken on this often, is often what we do means even more than what we say, um, especially with young kids and adolescents. They're watching all the time our behaviors as well as what we tell them. So I think that's such a great point that you brought that up. Uh, let, maybe the last question. Um, especially thinking about the younger girls, girls who are sort of fifth grade, sixth, kind of entering that, that age when their bodies are changing and puberty and comparing all that. What's a piece of advice that you would give to, to parents of girls to help try and help them prevent, you know, going down that slippery slope? Um, I, I think some of the things we talked about are really important. Um, so helping our young daughters understand normal growth and puberty and pubertal development, um, helping them stay positive about their unique gifts and talents. Um, I always tell parents like you know your kid is perfect and, and, and totally unique and you've known that since the day they were born and, and this is such a fragile age that's so really important um, to promote. And I also think though that it's important to hold that the parents should take these concerns seriously. So if they have a daughter um, or a son and they're worried they might be developing some eating disorder habits um, or behaviors to, to take that very seriously and seek professional help. Um, so one of the things we do at Veritas Collaborative is we have not only um, a phone intake service where concerns parents can call any time, but we also have in-person meta-assessment clinics where we see families when they're concerned. And I think that idea of, I don't know if I should be worried or not, going ahead and getting help, not commenting on how your kid looks, but going ahead and getting help is really important early on. Is part of Veritas also inpatient? Yes. And yep. do, you get, do you get young people, young people from all over the place, all over the country who come? We do. Unfortunately, you know, eating disorders, as we've said, have become very prevalent and impacting younger ages. And we do treat um, all ages, all genders. Um, we have patients come from all around the country to Veritas Collaborative. And because we're able to provide care at very high levels, um, especially for medically um, unstable patients, uh, we, we do get um, a lot of patients from around the country. Um, and it's really important to raise awareness um, to help families understand um, that these illnesses um, are very treatable patients can and do get better, but it's really important when parents are worried to take those concerns seriously. So how could parents get a hold of you or look what's your website so that if they want information about your services and all? We do. We have a website, uh, Veritas Collaborative. Um, we also have a, um, an, an access line um, and that number is 855-875-5812. And any parent can call that that wants more information if they're worried their child might have an eating disorder. And that's a great team of specialists that are available by phone. What's that number again? 855-875-5812. Thank you so much, Dr. Anna Tanner. I, I really appreciate you coming on and giving our parents some information about eating disorders and what to look for and what's going on because like you say we're seeing more and more of it and younger and younger and so I think I think parents just need to be aware. <clears throat> 
I really appreciate the work you're doing, Dr. Jordan, to help parents raise healthy daughters in today's world and to bring recognition to this really important mental illness. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, this is Dr. Tim Jordan, and uh, I'll be back in two weeks with a, another podcast. And uh, next week, I'll, I'll come with a blog. So every other week, there's either a blog or a podcast. And if you're looking for past ones, just go on our website at drtimjordan.com. There's also information on there about my books, about the weekend retreats that are coming up this fall. I really appreciate you dropping by uh, every two weeks for these podcasts, and also when you share them with, with your friends and people who might be interested. I will see you back here in two weeks. Thanks so much for coming by every two weeks. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.